Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. So God, we thank you for our series. We thank you for this idea of transmission and picking up where Paul left off. And we pray that as we, as we um, wander the, the pages of the missionary journeys, Lord, that somehow that might um, uh, be relevant to us um, in our own scenario here. Um, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the middle of a series, it's the blessing of Stanley, who's put on, um, uh, put a lot of work into preparing us for the series. Over five weeks, we're going to do it. Um, three journeys uh, Paul had in his missionary journeys, and, and we're going to be looking at them in terms of how they connect with us. So we've rather boldly said, picking up our own story where Paul left off. And I love the sense of boldness in this. I love the sense that we don't dare just to look at it as a, I don't know, a bare, bald historical account, but that somehow this would be relevant to us as we um, enter uh, sort of our own weeks, as we enter this month of May and June, as we follow this missionary journey. Um, We're going to do some different things. Um, The most significant thing to let you know about is each Thursday, we're going to release a podcast, sort of conversation interview with people from our congregation um, who are on journeys of their own and doing some of this stuff. And so this week, if you listen to it, um, I talked to uh, Liz, uh, Steve and Sharon, who have recently done missions trips, and they're just telling some of their story of what God was doing. So it's really worth a listen. Um, This week coming up, Gareth Owen from um, World Vision, He's part of our morning congregation marketing manager. I've talked to him just about his recent trip to Africa and and just reflections on poverty and um, really compelling, I think. And so for five weeks, we'll be releasing that as we're doing our series. So keep an eye out for that. If you'd like to really come with us for the series, there's a couple of things that you can do. Um, One is read Acts chapter 13 to 20. That's where we're going to be for the next four weeks or so. Um, And for the three Sundays that we look at the missionary journeys, you could come to two services, 10 o'clock and 5 o'clock, because today Calvin and I together are doing the first missionary journey. So I'm in Acts 13 today, Calvin will be in Acts 14 tonight. And at the very least, perhaps you could listen on the um, on our sermon podcast just to take you through the whole lot. So we're hoping there's a bit of depth. We're hoping that you'll walk it with us. Um, we're hoping that it might change us, change our hearts and change our lives along the way. So we're talking about the first missionary journey um, of Paul. As I say, both this morning, tonight, 47 to 48 AD was the time. And it started in Antioch and Syria. And we're going to have a map up here in a sec. Um, sort of we've done the sort of the big wide map so we can get an idea idea of where we are, Mediterranean Sea, you know, which I guess would be familiar, Italy and Greece in the middle there, Turkey, modern day Turkey, when you hear Asia Minor in the Bible, it tends to be Turkey, coming down to, um, on the right, Syria, even modern Syria, Antioch, where it all started from, um, and down to Jerusalem, so it gives you a little bit of an idea, Um, and the Green Lines obviously are the first missionary journey, um, and we'll come to the second one next time. So uh, 
if you've got Bibles, turn to Acts 13, but I'm going to just rush you through Acts 13, pick up and highlight a few things along the way. So you may like just to stay with me, or you may like to be reading it as you go along the way. So Acts 13, it's, um, it's got 50, 51 verses. I'm just going to take you through some of the story, and then hopefully we can glean from there. So this is from the message that I'll quote. It says, one day they were worshiping God. They were also fasting as they waited for guidance. The Holy Spirit spoke, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work that I've called them to do. Commission them for the work. So they commissioned them in that circle of intensity and obedience. I love the message sometimes of intensity and obedience of fasting and praying. They laid hands on their heads and sent them off. Barnabas and Saul went down to Seleucia, caught a ship for Cyprus. And the first thing they did when they put in at Salamis was preach God's word in the Jewish meeting places. So the story goes on from there that they meet this, um, they meet this sorcerer. It's a great story. And the message is some really flowery language that you might like to look at. And there's a confrontation, like a spiritual confrontation that takes place between them. It ends up that this guy gets blinded and the governor becomes a Christian because of the evidence of the power of God. It's an, it's an amazing time. And then they set off again over to the mainland, and um, John bails on the group at that point. That's really important. It's, there's, there's a few little threads of John that you'll find out other places in the Scripture. Um, and they end up in the Sabbath in, in the synagogue in another Antioch. So they start in Syrian Antioch. They end up in another Antioch. Um, where Paul is asked to bring a word of encouragement. And, and through into verse 16, it says, Paul stood up, paused, and took a brief, deep breath, and he, and he proceeded to tell a story. And we'll come back to that idea of standing up, pausing, deep breath, and sharing a story. So Paul's story goes like this. He says, you know, once we were trapped in slavery, we, were, we, we didn't know how to get out of it, but God led us out of slavery. He takes them through some of the Old Testament story, he takes them to King Saul, talks about King David, um, uh, a man that it says whose heart beats after God's heart, a man who will do what God tells him, and, and, and he sort of celebrates David's life. He brings us into the, what we now know as the New Testament, John the Baptist. He comes through, and then he introduces us to Jesus. And Jesus, he says, is a, is a descendant of Abraham. And he lived, and he, and he was taken to the cross, and he died, and he was raised again. And then he appeared in Jerusalem. And we pick it up in verses 36 to 39, again of the message. David, he says, of course, having completed the work that God set out for him, has been in the grave, dust and ashes, a long time now. But the one God raised up, no dust and ashes for him. So, I mean, this is a big deal, you know, kind of from there. No dust and ashes for him. I want you to know, my dear friends, that this is on account of this resurrected Jesus, that the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. Everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. And so from there, they're invited back into to speak in the synagogue the next Sabbath. So there's a week in between, and their fame begins to gather, this incredible message that they're giving. And this huge um, crowd shows up the following Saturday, I guess it was, the following you know, Sunday, we would think. And, um, and they're there, and there's this huge confrontation between the Jews who are saying one thing and and Paul and Barnabas and, and their team who are saying something else. 
And, and it ends up with sort of this incredible declaration. It says, um, Paul says, it was required that God's word be spoken first to you, the Jews, but seeing you want no part of it, you've made it quite clear that you have no taste or inclination for eternal life. The door is open to all the outsiders. It's this incredible moment of all of a sudden something has fundamentally changed and God's the good news is going to be going throughout the world. And then reading in verses 48 and 49, when the non-Jewish outsiders heard this, they could hardly believe their good fortune. All who were marked out for real life put their trust in God. They honoured God's word by receiving that life. And this message of salvation spread like wildfire through all the regions. This is amazing, this amazing story that you could kind of gloss over if you, if you didn't, weren't aware perhaps of some of the subtleties and the nuances that are happening. And there's a, this dynamic ingredients that are happening all over the place. You're introduced to this idea of calling and sending. You know, kind of God has this, God has this um, plan for our lives that he would call us to and send us out. This preaching of the gospel that we'll sort of look at as we go a little this morning, the signs and wonders. And signs and wonders are happening beyond Jesus. So so sort of there's an understanding of the signs and wonders have happened with Jesus, but the signs and wonders seem to be continuing and it seems to be happening through this missionary journey. There are dangers, but there are also adventures. And in, in, in Acts 14 in Lystra, Paul's going to be stoned for the first time, you know, our first time of quite a number of times. And so there's danger that's happening there. There are hidden stories. There are, there are depths that we can, we can look at. The story of John is a fascinating one through there of how, in a sense, he burns his bridges with Paul, but is, but is reconnected with Paul later in his ministry. It's a magnificent story. And then you've got the context of this big story of what God's always been doing, this wonderful story of, of, of his love for, for, for those he created and for his, his desire to bring us back into relationship with him. We've got the inspiration of David serving God's purposes in his lifetime and then dying, you know, doing the things that God called him to do. And then when it was over, it was over and a new, I guess, wave were to come from there. You've got the focus on the resurrected Jesus. And sort of a couple of the things that I think are really significant for us is that you've got this thing of the gospel jumping from being exclusive to expansive. And I think this is just this incredible thing. We might miss it along the way. Of course, it was always God's plan that it be expansive. But so often sort of a human error essentially were the things that thwarted that expansion. But all of a sudden we're kind of, okay, so, so it's preached first here, but, but not received. And it opened very wide at that stage. And we get the opportunity to sense God's great love for everybody um, and what Jesus had done. And then you have the birth of the church, you know, kind of, it's, it's, it's Ancestry.com, you know, kind of Acts chapter 13. It's why we're here today. You know, our fingerprints or their fingerprints are on us right through to today. This thing that's happening is what stirred us out of bed this morning and what stirs us in a sense perhaps to pick up where Paul left off, to take up from here and to move forward from here. That's the purpose, I guess, of our series. That's what we're hoping to do. So lots of dynamic ingredients. But what can we learn about it? Learning's an important part of this process, um, rather than just sort of knowing the story a little bit better. 
And so um, N.T. Wright famously and, and captivating for, captivatingly for me about 10 years ago when I first read it, talks about um, that we're living in the fifth of five acts of, of um, God's divine drama. So he divided into creation, the fall, uh, Israel, Jesus, and the church. And in that sense, we're reading about the beginning of the church and nothing much has changed. I mean, obviously everything's changed, but nothing much has changed in the sense of we're still living in the same era. So the, the thing that we see here, we can at least anticipate in some way being a reality or an invitation for us to jump on board with here in our own environments, in our own weeks, in our own kind of lives that we live. And so I think that's a, it's a compelling idea that we should do that. And so out of all of that, I think there are some things that we can learn. Out of the story and out of um, sort of the series, there's some things that we can learn that we can go away with this week and maybe apply in, a, in small ways and, and maybe, God willing, you know, in big ways into the weeks as we go. So the first thing I think that is really important for us to know is that we're all called to go. Um, some of you may know of um, something we call the Great Commission, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, Mark 16, it was an important call for, for this message, this thing that you have received and taken on board is too precious just to sort of hide it, I guess, under a bushel, if that's where, you know, kind of Jesus' parable went. And so this is where indeed we all get to pick up from where Paul went off. The story that we've read or that I've recounted is full of verbs, you know, full of doing words, you know, they were sent, they were commissioned, they plunged into the things that they were going to do, Jesus was resurrected, they spread out, there was something about the urgency of what was happening that was really significant to them, and no less perhaps to us in our own classrooms and families and workplaces, even as we go into this week, because just as, you know, they were picking up and doing miracles that Jesus had done, but Jesus was no longer there. Well, you know, we're picking up and doing these things that Paul and Barnabas were doing because Paul and Barnabas are no longer there. And so that's the opportunity that we get. But don't be frightened because often I think we say, oh, that's just so hard. You know, I'm speaking today as the person on every gift survey I've ever done. Evangelism is number zero, you know, kind of as the, as the least. I'm the least evangelistic person. But it's an invitation into, into the story and the goodness of God and living our lives fully in that and knowing that and understanding that and the opportunity of, of being that, just being that in the community that we are. And sometimes God will give us opportunity to, to do something or to say something or to be something. But, but every one of us this week does get an opportunity to do that. It's all about God's grace and God's amazing mercy to the world climaxing in Jesus and a message that we have that we can pass on. So Tom Wright says, don't imagine that you can possess it, let it possess you. And I love that thought. I can just walk in to the situation or to the week or whatever and have the sense of, of, of God possessing me with this great story and, and, and to be confident that I can be part of that. I mean, how cool would that be? So this week, I, I, I had a really interesting encounter with somebody. So my, many of you know we're, we're advertising for a, um, a half-time um, worship director and a, and a half-time youth pastor at the moment. And, and when you advertise, you put out feelers and stuff, you know, feelers come back to you sort of thing. I, you know, I kind of wonder if this might be. And I, I, I got a contact through a friend of a friend, a friend, and said, oh, it might be an idea that we get together. And so, so I was like, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, I'm wanting to follow those leads. So I ended up a little bit out of Auckland on Thursday, I think it was, 
in a really dingy, seedy pub, um, meeting this guy under the cover of darkness sort of thing. The pokey machines were here. The kind of it was a pretty rough clientele coming in, and here are these sort of you know Christian guys, you know, uh, sitting there, kind of trying to not look, not look conspicuous and stuff like that. And it took about five minutes of that conversation to realise that it was it was not a it was not a lead that would lead to you know, kind of this is, this is the new person who's going to be our new youth pastor, you know, kind of, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, but it takes you a while to drink a beer, doesn't it? Or kind of, I don't know about you, but it takes a, I was better when I was a young man than I am now, but there you go. So it takes you a while to drink a beer. And so we just started talking. And as we started talking, this guy started sharing. And, and I'm sort of, you know, I'm a sort of, okay, you know, sort of let's, let's turn this off. Let's move. I've got other things I need to do. But I kind of sort of softened over the beer in this little sense. And he said to me at one point, or the second beer, or was it the fourth beer or something like that? <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But I digress. So first beer. <laughs> and there's only one beer in the story, okay. <laughs> And he said to me, because he, he had some things in his mind that, you know, sort of that he hadn't shared before. And he, he just said to me, he said, oh, thank you so much. Because he said, I don't, I don't have anyone else to, to talk to about this. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's zero on evangelism with the people at the pokies and the, you know, the rough clientele and stuff like that. Didn't even think about them <laughs> um, in a Paul sort of way. But it's like, it was a meaningful, powerful hopefully, maybe not life-changing, but significant moment with a person who maybe I'll never see again. But there, that's the sort of thing that I think we're all called to go. We're all called to go there. We're all called to, you know, ask that extra question that take us a little deeper, that sort of thing. So I think it's really important. The importance of willing to, being willing to go there is something that for all of us, there'll be some people, you know, kind of who just, I just have to go on the mission field. And that's fantastic. And these scriptures have inspired missions, haven't they, around the world. But for those of us maybe who are not quite like that, it's nevertheless, I think, an inspiration for us to be part of this process along the way. Second thought is, we have an unfolding story. Unfolding, I think, is really important. We have an unfolding story that's worth telling. Every single one of us has a story, and every single one of us has a story that's worth telling. Messy story. You know, Rachel talked about crying every week. It was still a great story when she was crying every Sunday, as it is a great story today. Messy stories are okay. Stories in progress are absolutely okay. So with these transmission stories, this is the Thursday thing that we're putting out each week, um, you know, kind of different people in our congregation. So, so this week, we're, you know, we're interviewing Liz. Liz is talking about her first missions trip as a, as a grandma. I mean, it's, it's like, how, what a fantastic unfolding of a story that is. Steve and Liz, um, they talk, uh, sorry, Steve and Sharon, who head up a, founda- a missionary foundation, um, they talk about the moment in Guatemala, um, where they were just a, a few weeks ago, that they looked around the room and they, in a sense, had been replaced by a new generation of 20s and 30s who were picking up the missionary baton in their, in their 60s. And it's like, what an incredible sense that that something that they've given their life to is being replaced. What a story. What a, what a, a goodness of God's story. This week, um, we're talking with Gareth. Gareth, um, uh, um, on Thursday, um, marketing manager of World Vision. And he tells the great story. Ask him, because he'll tell it a, a whole lot better than me. But of just recently being in Uganda and, and meeting a, a little eight or nine-year-old girl who'd come across the border as a refugee from South Sudan who'd seen her parents killed in front of her and the deadness in her eyes and the pain in her eyes, but also going, 
going to other World Vision centres or, or, or whatever and seeing other same girls, but something brought back to spark and light in their eyes. You know, obviously, it's you're never going to re recover in that sense from that, but seeing the story progress, and it's like all of the poverty of the world zeroed in for a moment for him on, on, on a little eight- or nine-year-old girl in that place, and you think, you know, I want to be part of that, and it's what it's all about, an unfolding story of the things that God's doing and our stories, you know, and those are, those are pretty amazing stories, but stories worth telling. And so Tom Wright says to us that Paul's challenge is to understand our audience well enough to know how to tell them the story in a way they will find compelling, how to set up signposts in a language that, that they can read. And so how important is that for us just to be on our radar this week? You know, would it be that God might want to use every single one of us this week in some amazing way? I mean, how cool would that be? So it's a new compelling message, as our title is for today. It's a new message. You know, kind of the reason I didn't read about, you know, Israel and slavery and King Saul and King David and through to John the Baptist and stuff, that's not really our story. It's our heritage, but our story is what's pumping in our heart. It's important but it's not like, you know, go into and, and, and meet somebody tomorrow and start with them at Genesis and take them through to Revelation over morning tea. It's like it's not a story that's new or compelling. It's not a story that's going to win. But it was a, it was a story that was going to win that group, wasn't it, you know, at that time because it was what God was doing. So I think that's important. And when we have this thing, we go back to verse 16. We stand up. Stand up's really important because it's like the sense of, okay, we take a deep breath. Because how scary is it? Of course it's scary at times. We pause and we tell our story. What a fantastic thing it is to be loved by God and to know his love and to be able to represent that into a community that might be very dark or it might be very receptive. You know, who knows what it is for you, but it's, we can be those representatives of that. So a, a third thing, just to extend from that, I think, is, is the essence of our story is the resurrected and ascended Christ resurrected and ascended Christ. We, talk, we hear about resurrection in here a couple of times. I'm having this little sort of exploration with God about what the ascended Christ is all about. And this is a good week to mention it because on Thursday this week, the 30th of May, is Ascension Day. And I had a little wee listen at the beginning of Pray As You Go for Thursday and, the, and they mark Ascension Day. So we're pretty good at um, Good Friday, I guess, you know, kind of the, the death of Jesus. We're pretty good at um, uh, Easter Sunday, resurrection of Jesus. We're, we're not so good, but, but at least we would know about a, a fair bit Pentecost Sunday, which is June the 9th. But Ascension Day, in all of my years in church, I've never really heard anything on it. And so the ascended Jesus is really important. So I had the privilege, some of you know, early in the month, I was over in the States at um, uh, a group called Vineyard Scholars, and, and I got to meet this lady called Cherith Nordling. And um, she is the daughter of Gordon Fee, so some who are older will remember Gordon Fee as a you know, prominent Pentecostal theologian of sort of the 80s and 90s, and she's a theologian as well. And she's writing a book, and the book is on the ascended Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. So not the resurrection, but the ascension. It's like, well, crikey, aren't they the same thing? It's like, no, no, apparently they're not the same thing. And it's sort of, it's inviting me and, 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 and calling me forward. And she says in the early church, so back here, the ascension was the key source of hope for them, and that the New Testament assumes that the lens that we look at everything through is Jesus ascended in some sort of bodily form to be with the Father. That's the, what the New Testament people were, were hopeful about. 
this resurrection, it wasn't like he just went back to spirits or to something ethereal or something like that, but that Jesus, and so she takes it and she says, Jesus is still active. Hence we, uh, hence we participate with him rather than carrying on his ministry as though he has passed the baton on to us. And so if you think about that and take that into tomorrow, if Jesus is still active, he hasn't passed the baton on. So it's not really, you know, Jesus was there and then he died and then it was Paul and Barnabas and then they died and then it was the early church fathers and then they died, you know, and eventually it got to Martin Luther and then he died and eventually it kind of came through and now we've got it. But that Jesus himself is still active. We as Vineyard people understand it as Holy Spirit, but she's sort of taking this in a slightly different way. And I don't know the full answer or the end of that line of thought, but I find it compelling to think that Jesus and I are invited into some sort of process tomorrow. I think, man, how good would that be? How cool would that be? And so she says, we tend to think it's our responsibility to do great things for God rather than finding ourselves united with our King who is doing great things and invites us to join Him. And so tomorrow... We can trust or we can be aware that Jesus is operating in our sphere, in our lives, but in our sphere, and our job, if you like, our privilege. It's not a job, it's a privilege, is to try and discern what that is and tap into it and enhance the process. I mean, so you can do that whether you're unemployed or employed, whether you're young or old, you know, kind of whether, you know, regardless of your situation. I mean, how gobsmacking is that possibility? And so it's our unfolding story that's important, soaked in the resurrected and ascended Christ. And then sort of my final thought with this is, you know, kind of as we, we come to an end of Acts 13, and as I say, Calvary picked up, pick up with Acts 14 tonight, is that our story is good news. You know, I sometimes think, you know, we, we sort of think we don't have much of a story or, or we actually want to make it worse than it is for some reason. I, I, I'm not sure. But our story is good news. In Acts 13, 32, it says, and, and we're here today bringing you good news, the message that God promised the fathers has come true for the children, for us. So what God promised to you know, Abraham and King Saul and David and through Jesus and John the Baptist has come through, through for, for his children come through right through to us. I don't think it's a stretch or, you know, theological stretch to say that's speaking to us. What God has promised is available in here for us. And so we all need good news. The non-Jewish outsider needs the good news. And they were delighted in Acts 13 to discover the good news. I mean, there's a, there's a fantastic little moment. The poor need the good news. An eight-year-old South Sudanese refugee needs the good news because it will be life-changing for her as she becomes involved with World Vision or, you know, whatever, whatever organisation would bring good news. A man in a pub, you know, kind of in, in, a, in a friend of a friend of a friend sort of way needs the good news to hear because God is in that process. The lost need the good news. The confused need the good news. The questioning need the good news. And we are the good news. We are, we embody the good news, captivated by the resurrected and ascended Jesus. I mean, how fantastic is it to be those people? And that's how we pick up from where Paul left off this week. That's the opportunity that we have. And so as we come to the end of this morning, we get to have communion. I can't think of anything more appropriate to connect with Jesus who is living 
living. Yeah, just, just think about that, what that means. And I don't have a, I don't have a finished answer, but, but who is living and in our midst and active that we might join him. So I'd love you to stand, and I'm just going to read another couple of quotes from Cherith and, um, and then invite you to come. So Cherith Nordling says, We are a spirit people joined to the exalted Jesus who lays this table before us as he calls us to sacrificially lay our lives upon this table with him and let God raise us up. Spirit people joined to the exalted Jesus who lays this table before us. She is talking in a communion sense in the context of her book as he calls us to sacrificially lay our lives upon this table with him and let God raise us up. And then she says, as we come together around the Lord's Supper and find our place within Christ's body, we're asked to lay down our privilege and divisions, our conflicts and brokenness, and accept Christ's healing as we share the meal that is laid before us. It's not just, you know, kind of get a pinch and will I have a crusty bit or will I have a bit out of the middle or am I gluten-free or, you know, kind of have they thought of me or something like that and some are fuller than others and I don't really like the strong grape juice thing that McCoy put out or something like that. But it's actually an, an encounter with Jesus that we come for, that we, that we are invested in here. It's kind of, there's not a lot of nutrition in it apart from connecting with he who has given us not the symbols, but the life that is represented here. So as we come together around the Lord's Supper and find our place within Christ's body, we're asked to lay down our privilege. What do we need to lay down today and our divisions, our conflicts and our brokenness and accept Christ's healing as we share the meal laid before us? And, you know, we'll go into a meal out there as well. If you're able to stay, we'd love you to. And, and it's all part of the same thing. And then finally... She says, Jesus invites us all to come. And she goes on, the invitation is both a promise of his Eucharistic presence among us, like his presence in the elements, um, and an eschatological promise of his final coming. Eschatological, in times essentially, sort of the, the end of the age. And so Jesus invites us to come. But you know what? Coming is nothing about walking up and just taking it. Coming is... Coming is embracing. Coming is saying yes. Coming is letting go. Coming is listening. Coming is, I don't know, unity and harmony and putting things right. That's what coming is. Coming's not, yeah, yeah, I came. I came. You know, I, I had communion. But communion is something that is deep and, and life-changing. And I want to invite you to come and indeed be changed. So let's pray. And we're just going to take a few minutes or a few moments to, to settle ourselves, to really prepare our hearts. You know, if you're visiting today, you know, I think that the invitation to come is very broad, is very generous. And so if you feel like, you know, you might not be from our church or you might not be from any church, if you feel like you are, you are drawn to this Jesus in the most general or specific way we want to invite you to come because there is there is an invitation of God for us to be part of that so God we ask you to come and we bring ourselves before you and just for a moment we we almost separate ourselves from those around because we know 
that individually, personally, you are divinely interested in who we are this moment. And we, look, we examine our hearts and our motives and our actions and we ask that you come. And then we think of those around us, well, this great body of people that you bring us to be part of and them part of us. And Lord, we pray for, I don't know, a liberality, I suppose, of grace towards each other and, and understanding. And we, we pray that we might journey this journey together, that, that we might contribute to them and they might contribute to us. Thank you for, for bringing us here, even if it's just for this one Sunday, to be part of the church, to be an extension of Acts 13, to be your people. And for those of us, you know, most of us who are part of this church and we'll walk ahead together, we, we pray you'd show us increasingly what that means. Come, we pray. And we hear, Lord, your invitation to come. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.